When the Denver Nuggets are home, they're close to unbeatable. When the Denver Nuggets are home and Scott Foster is officiating, apparently, they actually are unbeatable. This is Locked On Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us part of your week. Appreciate you guys joining us and making us your first listen. We're available on all platforms. You can join us on YouTube and be a part of the show, hanging out with folks like Danny and Tyson, hanging out in the comment section. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere that you can get podcasts, you can catch a version of this show. We're glad to have you guys with us and appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to us on today's show we'll get into the win over the toronto raptors another impressive performance by michael porter jr we'll get into reggie jackson's comments after the game about how impressive the denver nuggets <laughs> the denver nuggets <laughs> culture is sorry the comment section is making me crack out uh how impressive the denver nuggets culture is and uh some comments on christian brown's spot in the rotation uh we'll also talk a little bit about other goings-on in the Western Conference today on the show. I'm Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by Adam Mares from DMVR. Make sure to check out every pre- and post-game show over at DMVR, as well as their daily podcast and all their great content at DMVR. Adam, how are you this morning? I'm good, man. How are you? The always chatty and conversational Adam Mares. I'm good. Uh, so the Nuggets get the win on Monday night, 118-113. They do not cover the final spread of seven. Thanks for that, Nuggets. Uh, behind... did you, you wouldn't have taken that, did you? Oh, I bet him. Yes, I absolutely Oh, did. come on, man. What? They're unbeatable at home. I know, but that doesn't mean they're going to cover a spread. <laughs> They've actually been really great as home favorites. They've been great against the spread. Uh, you're right. Look, I as soon that as the game started. Before the season ended last I know, Friday. I know. As soon as the game started, I was like, oh, God. It was more of a letdown spot. Oh, God. And it's more impressive that they got the win that way. Right? Like, uh, the Raptors did everything the Raptors do. Hustled. Points off turnovers. Offensive rebounds. All of the length. Complicated defensive schemes. And it still wasn't enough to hold off Denver. They just, the biggest thing for me, and this is like a, a broken record for me at this point, but I just keep walking away from all these games where Denver comes out a little flat to start or isn't, is missing shots early or the defense is really clogging things up. And it's just like, you can't hold down the starters offense for four quarters. You just can't. Eventually they're going to find a rhythm. And once they start going, it's like the momentum for this team at home is crazy. Like they just keep plugging. They don't hit you with like these 27, two runs. They've had a couple this season, but like they got going in that third quarter, got really back into it and then, then lost the lead behind the bench. But then the, the starters came in and just whooshed past them with a little assistance from a tiny bit of assistance from some pretty controversial calls. Yeah. I mean, we can get to that later on, but before I think talking about the game first, because I do think it was obviously consequential, but you know, whatever Denver, I think was winning this game, but you're right. They had a 120.6 offensive rating in a game where it felt like their offense was a little bit clunky. Um, some of that was great shooting in particular from Jamal Murray and Michael Porter jr. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about how much of this was Denver's, as you pointed out, lack of focus. This definitely felt like the, 
if the five games since the all-star break, I thought they were locked in for the Cleveland game. I thought they were locked in for the Clippers game. I thought they were locked in for the Memphis game last night in the, and the other Memphis game on the road were the two games where you're kind of like, okay, this team is not putting forth their best effort at all. And yet it's still encouraging that they were able to win this one. That to me is, is the story of this game is that Denver won with what I thought was something of a, just effort wise, something of like a C minus effort. If you take pride in something in the regular season, it helps, I think, with your confidence, and your confidence helps reassert that thing that you're trying to be good at. So the Nuggets have focused this season and talked openly about wanting to protect home court. They want to be an yeah. elite home yeah. court team. Like Malone said this, like he was like, we just were not good enough last year at home. And this team has really prioritized it. And as it's happened, I think that leads into like we're at home, crowds behind us, no one can beat us here. Right. And that's why they've lost once since December 7th at home. Like they are so incredible in that building. Um, they needed to, I think, improve on the road. But I think that that helps with the confidence and knowing, knowing who you are. It also helps from, I think, an NBA perspective, just of the NBA season is so messy and long and contextual about where you're at in that particular moment to being able to rely on we're a great team at home and we close like those are the two things about them that kind of, honestly, those are, that's a really strong non like basketball X's and O's identity of like our description of their identity. They're awesome at home. They're incredible closers. Another phenomenal defensive performance in the clutch. Uh, Would you like to talk about however, how great Michael Porter jr. Was, or do you want to talk about the clutch defense first? Um, let's talk about Michael Porter Jr. I thought it was louder. Um, the clutch defense to me was like two minutes of clutch defense. But Michael Porter, the thing that was so impressive about tonight is that he was clearly on fire, four of six from three, and yet he finished the game seven of 11. And I just feel like in years past, and even maybe earlier in the season, as good as he was, when he would hit a couple in a row, you knew he would start gunning and start just taking and maybe step outside the lines. Like his understanding and acceptance of what is and is not good offensive process is just so through the roof. It's honest to God at this very moment, better than I ever thought it was going to be. Like I thought he could, even before the injuries or anything else, he could be a great player, but he'd always have a little bit of this like, okay, that wasn't a good shot. Like, okay, Mike, like calm down, play within the system. Right now, he is just a full on um, buy in guy for what the Nuggets are trying to do. And even on a night when I felt like he couldn't miss, he still just played uh, within himself in a way that was just amazing. He's so He's been so good and so impressive this year. There were two shots that Harrison Wynn and I kind of looked at each other. It's like, wow, he's still taking those. And I don't say that as like a counter to your argument. To me, it's more proof of what you're talking about, where it's like the exceptions are when he does any, by the way, he made both shots. You th- um, oh, you said they happened last night? Yeah. There was there was two where uh, the uh, the ball was moving and he got caught in a moment of indecision and then did like sidestep threes and he canned them um, because that's that's him and but th- this is the kind of thing though is like the rest of that game like the rest of his shots the rest of his makes you're absolutely right and his confidence driving to the rim uh, he's focused I also say this a great sign for him from a conditioning standpoint he's getting out in transition right now like yeah. he is he's either pushing with the ball to initiate a break. Or he is getting out ahead on leak outs and finishing plays. And both of those things I think are really terrific given his history with the back. Knock on wood. Like those are really good signs, I think, for where his conditioning and mobility is at, especially on a night when honestly, like he wasn't feeling great that morning. So like he was questionable going into that game with a non COVID illness. He said he was just really exhausted. So like 
you know, he's just in a really good place physically. It feels like he's in a good place mentally. He's you're, the buy-in is a hundred percent correct. You know, Malone talked about how he went to him during practice and I like, pulled him aside and told him how proud he was of his defensive effort. Like that tension between MPJ and Malone, it may not have completely dissipated from everything that was there, but it's way different than it was last year, the year before. Like they are, I think. You, see, I, I mean, I, you keep couching this. Something, something got into you, Matt, over this last like 24 hours because you keep couching this. To me, I think Michael Porter, it's hard to say there is one story to the Nuggets, but if it was, if I had to pick a top one, I think it's Michael Porter's like fitting into the system and, and his buy-in. And so this like couching it with these like caveats of, well, most of the time this or that, uh, I just it almost lessened it to me. Like, I, I, wasn't, me I, I, I wasn't, I, I was trying to reassert it and it just didn't carry over again. Like, I think you're absolutely right that his buy-in, like there's very few moments in these games where you feel like he's operating outside the bounds. And there's very few moments where he looks lost. He's not just like lost and the ball happens to find his way into his hands. And then he like throws up something like right, everything right. is sort of, is, is definitely like, it's where he's supposed to be. And right, he's functioning right. as like a function of it. And Jamal talked about that last game too, about, how he's reading the single tag. Like he's talked about things about how he's making decisions on that front. And I thought that MPJ was interesting in that for him, he's, he kind of pushed back on the idea that it's like the game is slowed down or reads. And he's more of, there are times when like, I know what I want to get to. Right. And that's okay. Like he has the talent to be able to do that. That's not. And like, that's a good thing. Right. Because if he if he reads his matchup and is like okay yeah like the technical correct read here is this but i know i can get to this i think that's a positive read for the offense and it feels to me like the team jokic and malone all feel that way too yeah and i love the point about the defense because that's that's it it's not just one aspect of it it's it's all of it and i can tell you this from firsthand you know experience obviously at lower levels but as you go up a level in basketball you don't you're not aware of what you don't know like you go in thinking like I have this idea of what I'm supposed to be doing and then you get to something and it's so con- confusing or oftentimes you're like, why are you making a big deal of this thing? Like it's not that big a deal Like, because your context for what is good and bad basketball is different from whatever it is that this next level is, is asking of you. And I honestly see that in Porter over these last few years where it's like he can be effective at doing the wrong thing at a certain level. But when you go up that level to the NBA level, it's like, yeah, but that's only going to take you so far. And it, and the people that have been there, the veterans, the coaching staff, they know that. And the young players, and we saw this a little bit with Bones Highland even, is like they don't see that because they've never been in the situation where they were forced to fail. I think Michael Porter now being on the bench for a couple of redshirt years or years where he had to take off, but also playing and then even getting to the highest levels where it's like, no, in the playoffs now teams are keying in on your weaknesses and this or that. I just feel like the lights have clicked on for him. And that's why when Murray's talking about how he reads a single side tag as a help defender, those types of things are things that he probably wasn't even realizing the importance of earlier on in his career. Now it's like, I don't have to think about those things. They're so ingrained in me that now I just focus on my effort. You sometimes can't focus on both effort and execution when you, it takes all your brain power just to focus on the execution of it. A lot of guys, I think in the league, will still hold grudges over how they were treated early in their careers. And instead I think MPJ is going to look back and be like, that made me better. Right. Like, that made me into the player that can contribute to winning. Um, Joshua Sarah says, how are the Raps playing Jamal as a low guy over and over? Was that their plan or was it the Nuggets putting Jamal on the wrong guy? The Nuggets are switching one, are switching uh, one, four. So they're still switching a ton 
Um, the only person that doesn't necessarily switch is Joker, and he he switches up some of the time, um, a handful of times. So teams are putting Jamal in positions to be low to try and take advantage of his size because he's the smallest guy on the floor because the Nuggets are huge. Like, look at their lineup. Like, their lineup is massive right now. They're all really tall dudes. Um, so they are putting him in those spots, and they want to try and, like, get those height advantages. The Raptors more specifically are going to do that because they want to crash the offensive glass, and they want to be, like, contesting – they want to be like causing mayhem with their length. So like, that's part of that other teams like Kawhi, the Clippers would put Kawhi in those post-ups versus Jamal because like, that's a mismatch that they want to go to. Right. So that's one of the reasons why that's going to happen. Do you agree with that assessment? I think the other piece of this is that the Raptors are just an incredibly offensively versatile team. So they have the ability to do, to force those types of switches and still run their offense. So not every team will be able to do that because when you force the defense to switch, you're also like forcing offensive players into different various roles that maybe they're not comfortable with, but that's not the case for the Raptors. Joker gets a clutch block last night. He had a very clutch uh, deflection that I was like, how did he not foul him? And then the replay was like, yeah, no, he didn't foul him. Um, what would you put Joker's effort level defensively at last night? Oh, I joked about this on Twitter, and then people, of course, can't take a joke. Or, or Yoke's so polarizing that you literally can't tweet anything about him. You can't t t tweet a highlight because then people – half the people are like, this is the greatest highlight I've ever seen. Half the people are, you guys will make a big deal of anything, man. It's a regular bounce. Yeah. Like, you can't say Jokic's name on the timeline without it becoming polarizing. But I made the joke that he gave 17% effort, which was the exact right amount to get a win. Yep. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. I thought he was, I thought he was pretty rough for last night. Like Fred Van Vliet was just going at him every single time and hitting pull-ups. Like, and then was no... was that was sneaking around him for the oh, finish. Yeah. It just, uh, his effort was not very good. I didn't think last and that's night. That's okay. Like, and honestly, night. that's the thing is like we talked about this. This game wasn't important. This isn't right. an important one. Um, like they face the Pelicans here in a, in a couple of games. That's a more important one, relatively speaking. Not that there's like seating implications, but just like you want to face Western teams, you know, like you're not going to, the, the nuggets are not going to face the Raptors again after they play in Toronto. Also, um, also there's a weird thing here, Matt, that is the number one thing. And Malone referenced this at practice the other day. The number one thing is just getting there healthy. And it's, I think it is hard for a player to understand the unimportance of a game, make a goal of stay healthy. And then a secondary goal of win it's, and it's in that order. And I do think that it's a little bit hard to like, know how much effort and energy to put into any given play when those are your incentives well let's take a break we're running along on the first segment let's take a break let's come back and talk a little bit more about this game i want to get into uh the officiating late in this game we'll talk about some of the post game comments and we'll keep talking about uh the win over the raptors here on locked on nuggets first thing i tell you about built bar looking for a delicious treat but you don't want all the fat and calories you gotta try a built bar they're amazing and they're covered in 100 percent real chocolate they're a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They've got great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. We've told you for years about going in, going to built.com and ordering yours. Now you can run into Sam's Club or Walmart and get yours. Go into Walmart and get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to Sam's Club, you can just run on in, get a 13-bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. Churro is absolutely amazing. The Macros on these things are great. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. Check them all out at Built.com and find them at your local Sam's Club or Walmart. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Mm -hmm. 
back here on Locked on Nuggets. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us. Um, I want to go ahead and get to this real quick. I got to get to this. I haven't seen it. Uh, y'all see what Perkins just did on national? I don't care. Like, yeah. look, Kendrick Perkins, that's what he wants this from you, Danny. Is he wants you to take that and then come in here and post a comment and make that's how he stays employed. No one's like, wow, Kendrick Perkins, great perspective on the game. Wow, can't believe what he brought to the like. The man doesn't give any sort of he's burned all his bridges. Like, he was a guy that Kevin Durant was like, we need that guy. And now Kevin Durant's like beefing with him. Like there is no reason to bring that man into the discussion. Like Perkins has proven himself to be a clown and that's fine. Lots of guys get to paint their faces up and go on television and make a ton of money as clowns, but we don't have to talk about it. Like we can talk about like people that are serious. ESPN employs a lot of people that I think they give really good perspective and Kendrick Perkins. That's my thought. Um, what did you think about the calls last night late in the game? Um, <laughs> you know, watching it at the bar is different because you're not getting the broadcast, you know, commentary. And in those moments, it can be especially useful to hear the broadcast because you know what's being discussed. Like I couldn't even hear the explanation for the, um, why they overturned the call. I only saw the like one replay of it where Jokic hits the ball and then kind of slides to the hand. I thought that the, the, the challenge would be rejected and they won. So I was a little bit surprised by that one. But the the play that mattered most, like that one, whatever, the play that mattered most was the ejection of Scotty Barnes. I don't know, Matt, what is like <laughs> players can say a lot of things. Draymond can throw a fit. He can get in a, a, a ref's face and say some things. Allegedly, it was because Scotty Barnes questioned the integrity of Scott Foster. Now, he did that by saying y'all are cheating the game or something or cheating or something, something of like that referencing cheating to me that's a soft questioning of an official's integrity that's not that's like different than you know you're a compromised official what are you betting on the game something of that nature if he just said you're cheating to me that's like at best one tech not an ejection full-on throwout so to me it was a very very strange decision of scott foster um and then the fact that it was one of the five officials whose name we know because he is a guy who's you know, sort of known for these types of reactions makes it a lot worse. So it kind of is a bummer because my confidence level that Denver was going to close that game was at like 99%. They had stormed back from six down in the course of like 45 seconds, taken all momentum and were controlling everything. But that play certainly like made left open the door for doubt. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, and like Raptors, uh, smart Raptors analysts felt the same way as they're like, they're probably losing that game anyway. Yeah. Uh, William Lou is my go-to on that kind of stuff. And he was like, they're probably losing. And William was like, I want to talk about how the Raptors blew this. Um, but also Scott Foster's a joke. And I was really proud of Nuggets fans last night because the vast majority of comments that I saw and got were like, yeah, that was gross. Like, good for you. Good for you for like not being like, ha ha. Um, I was like, I waited for the pool report. Cause it's like, okay, who knows? What did he say? Like, we got to wait to see what he said. What was you're cheating. I'm like, what? Okay. So I have some context for you. Okay. Uh, guess who was the other primary person involved in the Tim Donaghy investigation by the FBI? Oh, you're going. That's that's a this is a wild one. Is it really? So this is. That's, I mean, this is like a strong accusation for like a thin like the Donaghy stuff, man. I don't know. No, are you I'm saying say, this with confidence? This is like no, no, a. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, if you're Scott Foster, who has been questioned by the FBI on oh, whether or not you're fixing games. And a player suggests that you're cheating. 
what's your reaction going to be? Um, the other thing I thought was interesting though, it, I'm with you where I'm like, come on, man. Like what, like, okay, you're cheating. Like, is this a schoolyard? What are we doing? Like these men are grown professionals. You're a grown professional. It's also a weird thing to say. You're right. It's actually kind of a weird but, thing. Well, here's here's what I thought was interesting. Did you see Jakob Pertle's reaction? No. Pertle turned and was like, what are you doing? Like he turned to Barnes and was like, what are you doing? Huh. Like the other ref was like very, that was what everyone kind of focused on was like the ref being like, what, what's happening? Why are you, what, why are you tossing him? How, this has escalated quickly. Yeah. But like Jakob Pertle, I think heard it, heard it and was like, you cannot accuse an official of cheating. You know? Look, I mean, I didn't know that going <laughs> into it. Like to be honest, if you would have told me like, do you get ejected for the following things? Punching a player. Yes. Like yeah. if you give me a checklist. If you would have said telling an official he's cheating, I would have been like, no, you don't get ejected for that. But I'm yeah. wrong. So now I learned I learned along with Scotty Barnes that that's one of the things you can't say. So I, I think it was contextual. I think it may be one of those things that like, I, I don't know. I think another official may not have tossed him, but it's Scott Foster, right? So, and it, it was yeah, a good yeah. And the free throw was was a bummer. Um, but I, again, I, I'm with you that I'm like, what, I, don't the the side, I don't think they called the side of the game. Are you you're talking about the uh, Scotty Barnes ejection or a different or a different? Call? No, that that yeah the the ejection. Okay, like it was a foul. Like it was absolute. I don't know. Like, Raptors fans were like he didn't. Like Nurse was like he didn't get him, and it's like yeah he, he absolutely did. Like come on, what are we what are we doing? Yeah. Like he, absolutely, <laughs> he he definitely fouled them. Like those were those were not. Bad I think it's hard. The one thing I will say, and it does suck that the, it ended this way, but I think it is a tough argument to say that you felt the Raptors were in control at that moment. Yeah. It, it felt like the Nuggets had woken for their three minutes of closing time and completely dominated every single second up until that point. So it's a, it's a bummer um, that it ended that way. But so we, after all the game, learned, we all learned something. <laughs> a lesson was learned by all. Uh, after the game, Reggie Jackson was uh, on, on the presser because Reggie finally hit some shots. Like he was missing in the first quarter again on like pretty good looks. And I told, I told Jenna Garcia, I was like, he, that guy needs to hit a shot so badly. He just needs to see one go in just yeah. like you could tell his, his confidence was just teetering. Um, had a good game in terms of hitting shots. Like, I don't think it was like a phenomenal. Wow. What's savvy from, from Reggie. I think that, uh, him and Eva is a plus four, any bench player that gets a plus four, that's a good night from them. Like that's a good night from any player that ends up on the bench that ends up a plus four. Um, so thought that he played, he made shots enough to, to be considered as playing, having played well after the game, he talked a lot about the chemistry of the team. And he talked, he was specifically asked about like coaching and like the culture that had been built. And for him, he said, you recognize it almost immediately when you're here about how connected this group is about how much they like playing with each other. He compared it. He's like, I've been on, I've been fortunate to play on some really great teams. He's like, I went to the finals, my rookie season with OKC. I went to the conference finals with OKC. We're with the Clippers a couple of years back. He's like, and you can kind of get a sense for when teams have it and, and don't, and this team has it and they have the belief. That belief part is something that I think the players are really, really reticent to share with us. Yeah, like, I agree. To, to their credit, the Nuggets are trying very hard not to give bulletin board material or stuff that's going to wind up getting shared. Like they are very careful, and I applaud them for that. It's our job to try and elicit those responses. It's their job to try and make sure that that stuff doesn't get out of hand or that they don't put the cart before the horse or write checks that they're with their mouth that they can't cash or, or whatever. 
Jackson, I think, was just asked about like the culture and like his positive comments does reflect about how good the locker room is this season. It is just in a really phenomenal place and the combination of personalities that they put together. I don't know if that was intentional by Calvin Booth. I don't know if that's like this guy will be like the perfect personality or i think sometimes this just works out where everybody's paid and everybody's aligned and everybody has like, there's no tension i think um, there's that's a part of it too so that to me is the biggest thing like i said this this week that, that to me a lot of it is nobody has to chase their own agenda like nobody has to, has to go beyond because everyone's taken care of at this point it's so good i mean look that is a big part of it can you imagine if jamal murray was a free agent this summer mm-hmm like just what a difference it would make or Michael Porter even like Michael Porter. And I'm not, we're not going to know fully the idea of like Michael Porter's max contract till the end of it, you know, like to see how long, how long he can stay healthy and, and how Denver does. But the idea of like, there's no distraction about a contract coming up other than Bruce Brown, which is like a role player, but there's no distractions there. You got guys in the locker room that want to win and, and seem to all be like KCP coming in and being an immediate buy-in guy. Just, you know, those things all matter. And we saw this last year with Austin Rivers, or was it two years ago with Austin Rivers when he came here and talked about, yeah, I've been in a lot of locker rooms, this one's special, whatever. I just, there's enough of this now, and I think enough personality, that was one of the things that was missing. But now there's a mixture of personality and buy-in and, and, and all those things that when I see these comments, to me, they're a big deal. And then I'm going to go back to what you said about the confidence thing. He said their belief is unshakable, and this isn't something they lucked into. And I think those two things, to me, it's so <laughs> the nugget story is a great one because it is a, a contrast to the modern way of thinking about a team, which is like, what if we just picked these guys and brought them together for a year and saw what happened or two years or something like that. This is the thing that's slow baked over several years. And every piece, then once you've built a culture, every piece that comes in is absorbed into that culture, not impacted necessarily by, by the outside. And to me, that's such a great story and him not just recognizing that that is a part but that that's also part of where they get their confidence. To me, it's really meaningful and really cool. I want to credit Nicola with something. Cause you know, he's, he's short on accolades. Um, I want to credit him with. We've talked about this. I think there's a lot of things about the NBA that Joker doesn't like the number of games, the travel, not being in Serbia. Uh, he's mentioned specifically talking to media, which, uh, you know, Hurts. I'll I'll be honest. It hurts me. I don't feel like we're a terrible media core, but fine. Right. Um, but one thing I will say is I think that there have been like there are have been surly, amazingly talented, but surly difficult superstars. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of conversation about what kind of leader Nicola is and the mentality and all of these types of things. And I think honestly, one of the, the things that helps a lot with Nicola is that he's pretty affable. He hmm. has standards, right? He has things he wants. He has a way that he wants people to play, right? He's exceptionally smart. And that bar of superstardom comes with it expectations of you, right? Like, look, I'm going to be asked like ever that there's all this pressure on me. So you've got to be able to do the things that we need to do to win. But in general, he's a funny guy who's got a pretty affable approach to him. He doesn't carry himself too seriously. He's transitioned to being, I think a little like more mature as he's gotten older, which is natural and normal and good. Um, but I think that the, like, I always go back to the idea 
we were talking about this last night <coughs> with the John Morant stuff um, that so many GMs have told me that the real identifier of culture is that a team takes on the personality of its best player. Right. And I think that the Nuggets personality is pretty affable. They have a good time. They like playing together. They yeah. love playing basketball. They're serious about the work. Right. That's what's so nice about it. And I think it's like, a, I think it's more of a breath of fresh air than people realize. And again, I think it's hard to create culture when your team changes a lot every year, year to year. And I think that's one of the things that we see in today's NBA is that there's just very few teams that have three years of, I mean, because he mentioned this, by the way, Reggie Jackson mentioned continuity. The continuity is crazy. The energy in this locker room is amazing. Those are back-to-back -back words. And like, this is the part that I'm, I'm trying to get at is there's such a lack of continuity that when players bounce around, they feel that. And then when they get to a place where it's like, oh, you guys have a backstory that goes back seven years. That's cool. That's that's where these roots go so deep. And that's what makes Denver a compelling story. And to be honest with you, it's one of the reasons I don't love the MVP conversation is because it swallows up every other one. And the story of the Nuggets to most basketball fans, NBA fans, because it's the story that's been told of them, is the story of Nikola Jokic. And that's obviously a huge part of it. It's the biggest part of it. But the Nuggets' success this postseason is going to be a lot about Jokic and his own individual graces, greatness, but it's going to be even more about this collective thing they've been building as a unit. And that, to me, is why it's such a bummer that it really just gets reduced down to this individual where a bunch of guys are his backup singers. Yeah, they'll have uh, – that's a great point. Um, they'll have opportunities, I think, to rewrite that in the postseason. I agree. Um, or, or we'll just talk about Western Conference MVP, and we'll just do this whole thing again <laughs> in the Western Conference MVP. Let's take a break. We'll come back, and we'll uh, get into – I have a, I have a question that has been bugging me that i got to ask Adam Mares about. Oh, it's no. about the Golden State Warriors. We'll come back Ooh. and talk about that on Locked on Nuggets. But first – the midway point of the NBA season is here. Now's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on everything from money line to point scores and threes drain. I had a FanDuel promotion for Action Network I had to do yesterday as part of my job. I took Ananobi threes because Ananobi takes the most corner threes, two plus. He hit two corner threes. I took Scotty Barnes, 10 plus points, had 12 points when he got ejected. Whew! And I took the Nuggets money line, not the spread. Let's go. Hit that big game parlay. <laughs> you can find that at Action Network. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. To learn more, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Locked on Nuggets. Thanks for joining us for the final segment here with Adam Mars on a Tuesday. We were talking about this last night. Adam, it's weird that they still have games. We feel like Friday night was like the culmination of so much for them. And now it's like, oh, yeah, they like uh, face like the Raptors and like they're going to go on the road and face, like they got the Bulls on Wednesday. It's like. It's very, it's very weird that there's still more games left in the season. Um, magic number down to 11 for the Denver Nuggets uh, to clinch a playoff or uh, to clinch number one seed in the Western Conference. There's a good chance that they're done with that by like the last week in March. Like they're going to have locked the one very early. Especially well, it's interesting too that the standings right now, I mean, they're a half game behind Milwaukee, mm -hmm. but they're now uh, two losses up on Boston and three on Philadelphia. So 
I don't know if Denver guns for the number one overall seed. Michael Malone said they would not. But I do think it's meaningful if they are the number two seed. Because then it's like, well, is Milwaukee coming out of the East? Maybe, maybe not. But you're covered for everybody outside of them. That would that would be a pretty big deal to me. I have a question for you because it's been bothering me a lot. And it may come to be a, a very, very important one. Uh, the odds makers believe that the Phoenix Suns are going to pass the Sacramento Kings. I don't know if that's the case. This is going to be real tight. Currently, mm-hmm. I have the... I have the Kings projected to finish 0.6 games ahead of the Phoenix Suns. That's how close this is. Okay. Uh, They would finish in the third seed. I still have Memphis as two. Uh, They've got with that lead. Um, I don't like to take about like we reach these points where it's like, we're in that conversation now uh, where everybody's like the Grizzlies could slide to seven. And it's like, guys, there's okay. They're not going to play the worst basketball of the season for the entirety of the season. Now, John Morant may be facing a pretty serious suspension, but we've seen them win without John Morant. So, like, I think Grizzlies are going to get two. Um, my question for you, if it's Suns-Warriors in the 4-5, who do you want to win that matchup as a Nuggets fan? The Warriors. And not because I'd rather play them. <laughs> This is my honest. This to God is a answer. great take. This, this is, is a my, phenomenal petty take. I love. This is it. my honest to God answer: is that I would want the Warriors to smack the hell out of them, even though they might be a tougher matchup. I'm not sure if they are a tougher matchup or not. I mean, I'm very curious for how Golden State would defend Jokic. He obviously had his way last year, and they were able to like double off of the shooters for most of the game and not have to guard pick and rolls. I don't. This is weird to say, Matt. The volatility of the Nuggets in the playoffs, until they win it, I'm always going to be you know, nervous. But I genuinely think they're better than everyone, including the Suns. So both of those teams would be really tough. My vote would go for the Warriors, um, just because I don't want to see the Suns win anything. And then I like this one, too. I do like that from a narrative standpoint, there's something to beating the incumbents. And I think that's a better story. Yeah, Jim says being the defending champs is the ultimate confidence booster. If you want a good example of that, the 2011 Mavericks swept the Lakers in the second round. Yeah. And it was like, that was like everyone was like, well, the Lakers are going to win because they're the champs. And then it was like, oh, yeah. the Mavericks just are much, much better than them. Um, I'm in a really tough place with the Warriors. I listened to the low post yesterday with Kendra and shout out to Kendra. They were talking about just like Zach's like, look, the numbers say that this team is elite when they have all their guys. Right. And he's not wrong. Right. Best net rating in the league, minimum 100 minutes. Right. The Nuggets are like they're the Warriors are like plus 21. Um, the Nuggets are like plus 17. Nuggets are second best with the starting unit. Uh, I would say that some of that is because like when Wiggins and Curry are out as much, you have like fewer of the outliers that just naturally drag that down. Like that gap is probably more narrow than the numbers indicate because of the the games that they've missed. Uh, There's a couple of trends since 2000. Okay. um, Only one team with a seed lower than third. Yeah. Has won the title. Right. The other one I found is that since 2000, this is a big one. No team. I want to get your thoughts on this. No team with a net, with a sub 500 road record has won the conference. I asked you the other day about what your concern level was about the nuggets, like on the road. And you put it pretty low. You were like, I'm not really worried about it. 
Um, I want to know why you don't, you're not as concerned about the road record. I don't, I just have not been like, especially unimpressed with them. They played the, first of all, most of their road games came in the first 20 games of the season. Remember they had an extremely road heavy first start to the season. And that's where most of their losses came. If you ask me, are the Nuggets more indicative of what they were in the first 20 games with Murray and Porter coming back or these last 20 games, I would say the last ones. Um, so I, so I just don't know. There's a lot of noise in like the sample size of all of that. I wonder what their road record is in the middle portion of this season. That would I would kind of be interested for that. And then the hard part is, are they going to close the year? They go on a road trip here coming up. Are they going to go on a run of road wins here? I don't know because now they're in a weird spot with where they're at with so much cushion um, in the one seed. So I don't know. I look at that. And I'm not too concerned about it. Um, I would like to see Denver play some good defense on the road more than I would care about like the win loss, but um, I don't know the schedule this year's schedule more than any has been pretty uneven and unbalanced for Denver. Uh, Denver's eight and eight since December 7th. Uh, is there a cutoff date that you want to put in there as far as like when they play? No, I would. I mean, in, even then, like I know two of those games were rest your starters games. Yeah. Um, I, granted one of them was against Milwaukee. They probably would have lost that game anyway, but you never they, know. They've they've been so good in Milwaukee. I kind of go the other way on that. They've been. Yeah, they might have won it. Who knows? They've been so so good in in those situations. Uh, I'm looking up when Nicola played on the road since December seventh. Um, I mean, they have a win at the Clippers on the road, which is a good one. They have um, and they lost at Minnesota again. Another like second night of a back to back game. You know, like yeah. some of these six, and, six and six with Joker. Since December seventh, they beat Sacramento and lost to Sacramento. Like I don't know, I'm not, I'm just not that concerned about it. Um, I would like to see them play a little bit better. Just to, to we're we're in the nitpicking. like. What are the road games that you need to see? Because is it at at Toronto, at Detroit, okay. at Washington? Oh, by like, the way, just so we're clear on this, I'm going to be all over Toronto in that game. Like Toronto's going to be so pissed about how that game ended last night, and Denver's going to be like, okay, like road game in Toronto, okay, like. That is the Maybe, very definition yeah. of a sure game, I think, for Denver. But this is what I'm saying. If you're saying that Denver is going to not take that road game very seriously, why do you need to see them play well in yeah. a game that doesn't mean anything? That, and yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with it. Is I'm just yep. these upcoming road games just aren't that important. So is it important yeah. to me that they beat Detroit and beat the Knicks? Yep. I mean, it would be great to see them play well against the Knicks, but it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, they look, play, they're yeah. – the the Knicks and the Nets and like the Rockets. The only real big one remaining is that Phoenix Suns April six game. And I'll just say like they're gonna have locked the one seed by then. They I I'm a I I firmly if they can get away with it, if the league's not gonna punish them for it, they should rest guys. Like I don't want them to show anything in that game if I'm the Nuggets fan. I just wonder how the Denver's gonna approach the last three games at Phoenix, at Utah, and then home versus Sacramento. And all three of those could have implications. You know, like yeah. all all three of those Sacramento, do you want them to be do you want them to be in the four seed so that you have a favorable second round matchup rather than Phoenix? So you gotta win that one so that Phoenix passes them on the last yeah. night. So you play hard. Like there's all these weird things that could happen at that spot. And um Utah, maybe you want to lose to Utah because you want the Lakers to get in. So I just think it's gonna be weird. Um oh, I want to ask you this one. Let's say that the Bucks keep winning. They lost on Saturday, but they'll say the Bucks keep winning. And the one seed is out of reach at the end of the season, but the Nuggets can pass the 2013 team for the best record in, in Nuggets history. Do you go for that? I don't think you should. Will Michael yeah. Malone? I don't know. 
but I don't think you should. It doesn't mean anything. The 57 win team lost in the first round. Yep. Is it really a, is the record that important that you want to gun for it? Yep. Here's what I'll say just going through like the regular wins and losses, like just estimating, even if you factor in rest, Denver's on pace to, to get 57 or 58 wins. And that's being somewhat conservative, you know, saying, oh, they'll probably lose at Phoenix both times. So I think that they might be in position to at least tie it, um, if not surpass it. Like last night should have been a loss. They won. Denver might just win a bunch of these that they should lose. Yeah, I have them uh, projected right now at 56 is where I've got them projected, which would be a nice number, one below that team. And still, uh, regardless of what Jeff Morton, King of Thornton, who's in the comments, says, I believe this is the best Nuggets team in history. So we'll see. He thinks it's not? Yeah, the, he goes back to those teams in the 70s and 80s. He's very um, upset that there's not Well, more. there's no there's no team from the 80s that's as good as this one. But if the 70s, he's I think he's thinking of the 76 team, which had, yeah. uh, I mean, come on. I have no idea. Are you kidding me? That was... You're old, you're old, Jeff. I just want it, was, to it was before Jeff was born, too, by the way. Allegedly. Jeff is, no, yeah, Jeff is 78. Come on, JP. <laughs> All right, it's going to wrap it up for Lockdown Nuggets. I appreciate you guys being with us. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. We'll get you set preview on the Chicago Bulls game. Uh, we'll take a look around the Western Conference standings. We'll talk a little bit about uh, – I want to talk about the Kings a little bit tomorrow as well as a potential first-round matchup. We'll do that tomorrow. 